Hi, I'm John. And I'm Nicholas. Welcome back to Quality Conversations with Klaus, a customer service podcast featuring stories of companies and individuals that go the extra mile to create exceptional customer experiences. This week's episode is an absolute treat. We spoke with Ariel Yoda, who is the Customer Experience Quality Manager at Fi, a smart dog collar company based in New York. Ariel shares how to keep a pack of customers happy with personalized customer service and why a transparent QA process is important for teams from the get-go. Share your thoughts on this week's episode with fellow support professionals over at qualitytribe.com. And now, here's our quality conversation with Ariel. Hello, Ariel. Is that how you probably pronounce your name, Ariel? Yeah, you got it perfect on the first try. That is amazing. Nice. Ariel, what is your latest obsession? This is going to sound really nerdy, so I don't know if anybody is going to pick this up. But when I was a kid, there was this um, there was a show in the 90s called Babylon 5. And it was a sci-fi show, but it was like an early 90s sci-fi show. So it was really bad really bad like terrible graphics they didn't really have but the story like was really wonderful and i recently found out that they're doing a reboot over here in the states so i have decided to watch all of it over again and this is like back in the day where each season of a show had 20 episodes and this series has five seasons. So I've like really heavily committed to this. But I can't I can't attest that it holds up. It really does. The story is like really powerful. So that's my latest nerdy obsession. And is this an obsession that you share with a lot of other people now in 2022? Or is it very well, fringe? Absolutely not. I mean, I'm sure I know that there's like a big fan base out there, but literally nobody in my circle. Like I tried to get my partner to watch it and it didn't work. That is hilarious. Let's let's see about this one, though. Let's see also if they're somehow connected, maybe. Which conspiracy theory do you think you could be the most susceptible to, or for that matter, that you already believe in? Oh, man. This is also going to be super niche, so I'm sorry for going on this like very tiny scale, but I grew up in Colorado, south of Denver, and... There's this like sort of weird fringe conspiracy theory about the Denver International Airport. My friend Daisy Egan actually has an amazing podcast about this. It's called Strange and Unexplained. So if you want to listen to the Denver airport episode, um, it's amazing. So apparently there is a conspiracy theory that underneath the Denver airport has sort of been used for, I don't know, like fringe CIA stuff. There are all these like murals at the airport that are like really dark and intense. Like there there's this whole mural with like a soldier theme and a gas mask. It's obviously I'm not into the conspiracy theory or otherwise I'd be able to give you more specifics here. But I do think I would be the most susceptible to it because I grew up there and I've seen it. And I'm like, there are certainly weird parts of that airport. It might be used as an underground bunker. I don't know. That, that was a lovely answer, but this is a support podcast. All right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> let's wind it down and let's come, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's come back to it with this one. So from your, your current position, if your manager gave you an opportunity to spend as much as you want, but only for one-time purchase to you or your team, what would it be? This is hard because my impulse is around mental health, just because I think for support teams in general, it's really easy to experience burnout because unlike other 
teams inside of a startup or company. Like you have to be on 24-7. But I know that investing in mental health is not just a one-time purchase, you know? So this this particular question is really hard for me. So I think I would do maybe something like a week-long retreat that allows people to come together, but also allows like a recharge. If there was a way to use that money so that we didn't also have to be at work at the same time, like anything that allows for a support team to actually take time off work together. Because I find like anytime that you do a company-wide retreat or, you know, a gathering or like a, like a social thing, the support team has to play double duty, right? Like they have to be online and answering customers and tickets and what have you, and also participating in this other thing. So if Somebody has the fix for that. That's what I would spend my money on. I like that connection. You started up with um, mental health and, and burnouts, but then you connected it to, um, to retreats. We've actually heard that once before. We heard the same type of answer. Now let's step into like thought leadership, which, which I like a lot. So it's 2022. It's the end of 2022. You said high season is coming up. A lot of teams I know are planning for 2023. I don't know your full tech stack. I know Klaus is one of them, but I don't know the rest. But what overall support trends do you see for the industry you're in? And, and how would you de define the industry? Is it just e-commerce or how would you label that? And yeah, then what support trends do you see? At Fi, we're, we're definitely an e-commerce company. We are a smart dog collar. So we also have a significant amount of tech as well. So basically the product is a collar for your dog that not only attracts the dog using GPS, LTE, but it also tracks like activity and stuff. So there's a social element to the product as well as like activity tracking and just more fun stuff. But our number one priority is just like keeping dogs out there safe. So if a dog escapes, you'll have a handy dandy app to track the pup and get them back, right? So I guess just to clarify, are you talking about trends in terms of the support that we use as a company or just trends that I'm seeing in terms of what customers need out of a support team? To be honest, whichever you have a better answer in, whichever you're more opinionated in, I think more people go in like overall, overall. Okay, I guess I'll speak to, I'll go from like more the angle of what, what I'm seeing from customers. I think because we live in a world where everybody expects like the answer right away, like we're so used to having everything at our fingertips just because that's the world that we live in. So I think there is an impulse to automate, like even company-wide, we use a lot of different tools to like automate things. Like obviously I'm using Klaus and we use Asana and we, we have a lot of those tools at our disposal. But I will say that even though we have done a lot of work to automate things from the customer standpoint, we have a lot of like easy flows that leads our customers to our help center. They still nine times out of 10, they want a personalized interaction. And that I find really interesting. We want things to be automated. We want our answers right away. And yet we really want to make sure that we're talking to a human. I don't think that's either good nor bad. I just find it very interesting based on the world that we're in right now, you know? Yeah, I think I've, I've seen those trends as well. And I wonder if it might be because computers and, and chatbots, et cetera, just aren't good enough yet. Like they can do some stuff and they can do that great. And you can save a lot of money from that. But I think people, as you're saying, they, they, they feel I want a human because there's still so many things we need a human for. It's that easy. Yeah, I would say that's probably right. And then that 
kind of also means that what you're saying is we can't automate everything. We need good support. Like that's still very important, right? Yeah. Customers still care about that. They just don't care about the product. They care about support, especially for like long-term value. How does good support help you stay competitive as a company? Yeah, we had a really interesting conversation with our, our CEO the other day, and he was talking a lot about how we are, we're not the only product on the market in terms of this particular vein of product. Like there are different smart callers out there. And he was basically saying like, there is room enough in the market for everyone. And it's actually a good thing to have a lot of competition because it allows you to innovate and get better. And there's no need to sort of like crush the competition because the market is wide enough. And that was interesting to me because I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's true. So if a customer is coming to us because they've chosen our product over the other smart dog callers out there, they obviously came to us for a reason. And whether that reason is customer service or not, it doesn't really matter because at that point it's like, oh, you you've chosen to be our friend. We're a really good friend. We'll we'll cook you the best dinner. <laughs> you know, that's like a clunky metaphor, but you know what I mean? No, it's almost almost there are other maybe equally good and maybe just about equally good uh, competitors out there. But what arbitrarily they chose you and then good support is kind of like your, your leverage to make them stay. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. Not only leverage to make them stay, but like leverage to to basically like not prove is the wrong word. What's the word I'm searching for? I guess confirm for them that they made the right choice, you know, that they want to be part of our pack. I like that. I like that a lot. And do you see, um, what do they call like the Apple tags? Not for dogs, but like what people use for their keys and bikes and stuff. Would you consider them a competitor in any way? Because if so, you know, if you then connect that back to support, probably if people go for that, they wouldn't expect too much from Apple. They're way too big for that. It's like, then you have huge leverage of being more familiar. It's like, hey, welcome to our pack. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned the AirTag. I think like, Generally, yeah, it's a kind of the same concept, but I think it in just because it's just a tracker and I don't exactly know how the Apple AirTag works. I've just heard of it because people sort of refer to it as a tracking device. So for that reason, yes, I guess we could like technically call that a competitor. But because it's not like specifically made for dogs, I don't think it's like in our bucket of of competitors. But yes, I mean that what you're saying is is true, I think. Going back to that trend I was talking about, people are invested in a personal relationship, especially with a product like this, which is for like most people's best friend, like their dogs, like people really, really invest in those relationships and people, people just love their pups and they like want the best for them. Like for some people, it's like their kid. So I do think that, yes, driving them to a more personalized experience is important to them for a product like this. Just, just for your information as a listener here, uh, when Ariel talked about best friend, she did air quotes. And, and at Klaus, we completely believe that your, your pet, especially your cat, can 100% be your best friend. <laughs> Why are you going to throw me under the bus like that, Nicholas? Like, that was dark. <laughs> Well, cool. Let's move on to like a focus on QA then. And Ariel, you mentioned earlier that your customers kind of expect two things from you. They want really, really quick service. They also want that human touch at the same time. And I think QA can be a bit like that as well. You want to do a lot of QA, but you need to make sure you're productive at the same time. So how do you do that? And you know, the quality and productivity need to be enemies. Or how do you match the two together? 
Yeah, I think that's the million dollar question, right? I don't know if I have if I have a super great answer for this because I guess if I were to think about it personally, I prefer quality. I don't think that the two have to be enemies. I do think that they work in tandem and they're both very important. Like um, specifically at FI, we have a very strict SLA policy in terms of our response time. And we have worked collectively as a team to reduce that down from, I forget what it was before I joined, but it was significantly larger than two hours. And we have over the course of a few months gotten that response time down to two hours every single time. Um, and that is a that's a section that I QA for. Right. So if anybody doesn't meet that response time, like they get points docked from that. So I think that that's important to us. And it's also like a goal that we worked towards as a team. And we're like working to get that response time down to one hour. Yeah. But more importantly to me, like, I guess if we're talking about it in terms of like sections and it, QA listeners will probably know like sections of your rubric and how they're weighted differently like that section is not as important to me as like the quality of your response. There are people who are going to get frustrated if they have to like email back and forth over a couple of days. I get that. But if you know that whoever you're speaking to is invested in you personally and is very knowledgeable and logical in terms of the product, like I find most of the time that that is more important to our customer. They just want to make sure that they're being listened to and they want to make sure because we have a complicated product that involves a lot of tech, they want to make sure that they're getting a detailed, logical response. So that's more important to me. But (laughs) I don't know if that answers your question, like I said, because they do have to work in tandem. I think it's just really about a balance. I agree. Well, if I'm looking at it from an end user's perspective, what I really like as a user when I contact a support team is I like a fast response initially to begin with to someone someone saying, hey, John, thank you for messaging us. We're looking into this. It doesn't mean the solution has to be quick. I'm fine with that. And that's where that quality side comes in as well. So I think you can match the two together. You just got to be really smart about it. So uh, you place a lot of emphasis on the quality of your support, but quality can often be a very subjective term for a lot of people. So at FI, how do you make sure that the definition of quality is objective and easy to follow? Yeah, that's also an amazing question. And I think it's ever evolving. I think that's the key because the company is going to grow and change and our customer base is going to grow and maybe change. So we have to be consistently aligned on what our FI values are and not let that get stale. So right now we have a certain we have certain metrics in place and we have a certain way that we like things to be branded. We have a certain jargon, you know, we have a certain greeting and like sign off that we feel like is really in line with the brand voice and brand values, but also high quality in terms of empathy and connecting with people. But that's going to that language is going to grow and evolve. Our leadership team and our support support team needs to be aligned with what those values are, because I can't be making those decisions in a vacuum. I think that's how you keep quality as objective as possible and accessible, which I think is the key to objectivity, because if the support team isn't aligned with what I'm looking for as a QAer, then it falls apart. That's a really nice transition into my next question, actually. So, um, you know, myself and Nicholas, we're speaking to people all day long who want to get a QA process in place for 
maybe never even done QA before at that particular company. One of the problems they struggle with is sometimes their support team feel like QA might be seen as a stick to beat people with, essentially. So how do you create that shift in mindset and create a culture that's really positive around feedback? Uh, yeah, accessibility. I think that's the, that's the short answer. I know you might, you're like, you don't have to mention Klaus, but I'm going to do it because I really love it. And I love it because it's successful. Right. So when I put that in place, I made sure that everybody knew exactly how it was working. They had access to all of the dashboards that they needed. They were able to choose whether or not they got an alert every time a new review came in. Right. Like we did a whole training on what the QA software was even though they never have to touch it you know i'm the only one touching it but i need them to know exactly what the rubric is exactly what my day-to-day -day looks like so that they know that my role generally just as like a my like blue sky dream for all qa is to make the support team's life easier by making things clearer so if there's a process that people are confused on and i'm taking points off and nobody knows like what is going on in the back end then that quality is not going to improve but if i see a trend and i say you know is this happening because you don't have a help article let's write that one for you yeah it's all about being incredibly transparent with people as to why you're doing things but then if you're i think a little tip if you're actually doing qa and you're using a tool like klaus which has a lot of two-way interaction sometimes live queuing a conversation together on your one-to-ones can be a really nice way to build that culture. And then another question that people have uh, when they speak to us and just have questions about QA in general is, when is the right time to implement a quality tool? And by that, I don't mean how big should your team be? It's more about what sort of pain points would you be feeling, which will then, you know, make you get a QA tool in place? Yeah, I... I'm sort of a big proponent of it. So I'm like, as soon as possible, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think if you have a team of one and you're making all the decisions and you're like a teeny tiny startup, then that's it's not that necessary because you're basically QAing yourself at that point. But I think as soon as you have a little team in place who are going out into the wilds and facing customers, you're going to want to make sure that you have a focus on like whether or not your your voice is being communicated in the way that you want. So I think early is better. Yeah, I agree. The early for better. And then what are some of the main risks not implementing a QA tool? I think mainly the risk that I have perceived, because I, I used to work support actually for a company that it was like years before a QA process or tool was put in place. And what happened there was a lot of people who had been there from the start had their own way of doing things that was completely different from like the processes that the company was trying to put in place. And so it ended up like siloing people, like pe people who had been doing things the same way for a really long time and it was effectively like working, air quotes, were really resistant to it for good reason, because it was like, oh, now all of a sudden you don't trust me to do my job. So I think you lose trust by not implementing it sooner in a way because you lose a little bit of transparency once people have become very set in their ways in terms of doing something. So I think it allows people to be more malleable, you know. Wonderful. Completely agree. Nice. And we're on to the last section now, which is my favorite section, the actionable takeaway questions. Um, so first question, what's one thing that a customer support manager could do to improve after listening to this podcast? 
What's your message to the world? My message to the world. Yeah, this is this is a big question. I guess I'll talk I'll talk about five just because I think our customer support manager is actually doing this incredibly well at five. And so I would want all companies to emulate that. And it's not just like a shameless plug, I swear. Um, it's actually like really good practices. So I think you have to actually be invested in your support team's feedback. I think like a lot of people give lip service to that. But like, for example, a lot of our, we use Zendesk, if people are familiar. And a lot of our most successful macros, which is basically like a canned response, if you will, um, have come from our team directly, have come from a really great message that a team member wrote to a customer that then was taken and put into place as like process. So I think in order for agents to feel empowered and to feel like their voice matters and to feel like they're a part of a collaborative process, especially in a startup, you have to move beyond lip service and actually put actions in place to make your team feel heard. So stuff like that, being transparent with your trainings, um, uh, making sure that when new processes roll out, people actually understand the reasons behind them instead of just this is what we're doing now and get used to it. Actually taking feedback into account, like that macro example is a good one. Literally taking a team member's words and making it process for the entire team. I think empowering support agents is actually really helpful and it helps to combat burnout as well, like I was talking about earlier. So, Yeah, culture, 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 basically making people feel heard as well. Incredibly important. Um, and it's a hard skill to learn, actually. I have seen that in successful teams in terms of empowerment and being transparent of using the best messages in certain areas from different agents as examples. And you can implement that into the processes you have, into your QA tool and showing this is an example of what it would like to be. But that coming from agents is very, very empowering. Yeah, that's like exactly what I'm rolling out now in our QA program where <laughs> we're calling them golden tickets and where you we're putting together basically like um, a spreadsheet is the wrong word, but sort of like a Bible of like really amazing responses that new team members and new hires can take a look at that's coming directly from the team. It's a really good idea. I think that's that's a really nice actionable takeaway. That was an idea from a team member. That was not my idea. Okay. Giving them credit. Nice. <laughs> Again. Practic practicing what I'm preaching, I hope. Yeah, yeah, but. she's not lying. <laughs> Good stuff. And if we look at the other side of the coin as well, so from a customer support rep's perspective, what's one thing that they could do to improve or even be recognized in a company? Let's say they want to be promoted to a team leader. How do they get there? Yeah, I think being proactive is really important. I think if you are... One, ask for what you need, right? So if you don't feel like you have the tools at your disposal to do your job, you need to ask for them because maybe maybe you'll get them. And if you don't get them, hey, go to a different company. <laughs> you know, there are better cultures out there. So ask for what you need. But two, I think, and I can only come at this in terms of like, hashtag startup life because that's the company that I work at. But I think a lot of the time opportunities are there, but because everybody is going from zero to 60, like all the time, they may get lost in the shuffle. So if you want the, an opportunity, if you want to move into a team leadership position, or if you just sort of like want different feedback or different processes, I guarantee you, if you like go to your manager or your team leader and ask for that, the opportunity is going to be there. It's just not going to be like 
at the front of the priority stack because it's like, oh, we're launching this thing and this change is rolling out and, oh, we have like all these tickets, you know, but opportunities are there. You just have to ask for them. So just don't be afraid, basically. Yeah, I think so. And, and that is tricky, right? Because every, every company culture is different. So I say that coming from my own personal experience at a very sort of like warm and welcoming company. I understand that not everybody is going to feel empowered to do that at every company. I totally get that. But there's, there's also strategies. A person that I used to work with basically said to me once, like, every time I'm in a team meeting, I just try to be as positive and as I possibly can. And like, she was basically the company hype man. And she's now in like a huge leadership position. So I don't know how she gamed that. But I think she was just like, I love this company and I'm going to make it known because I'm interested in moving up. And she did. So That's awesome. there's other ways too. Nice. And the last question. So you can't mention Klaus or Fi, but which company <laughs> is doing support the best and why? Okay. So there is a company called Newly. It's a clothing subscription company, uh, but it's a, you're like, yeah. Do you <laughs> I know Newly. Yeah. Okay. I love Newly. It's a clothing rental subscription company. I'm an idiot. And I basically shipped back, you know, with these rentals, these clothing subscriptions, you have to ship back at the end of the month. So for some reason, I put a personal item in the rental box and shipped it back without knowing about it. And I didn't realize until it had already been shipped out. So I contacted them immediately and I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if you're going to be able to do anything about this. And it's totally my fault. But this is the situation. And this is an example of like quality over productivity, I guess, that we were talking about earlier. It took a very long time for them to get back to me, but they got me my shoes back. Like they did everything that they could to get that back. So I didn't even like care that I had to wait over 24 hours for a response. I was like, no, I feel trusted. So would it have been nice to have a faster chat bot or like a faster um, person over chat? Yes, of course. I don't like waiting. Nobody does. But it was a really great customer service interaction because I was like, oh, I have full and complete faith that this package is going to get back to me. And it totally did. It was lovely. Yeah, exactly. And I think trust in a company is why you repeatedly buy from them. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So that's my example. Nice. Awesome. Well, that's it. The podcast is done. 